morning, everybody. Um, so first, uh, we're going to do something just a little bit different this morning. Um, it is my honor to uh, be able to read the word um, Sunday after Sunday to be able to come up here for Brian and myself to be able to lead in this way. Um, but I think one of the things that uh, is extremely important is that we recognize that this word is not given to just um, some individuals, but is given to the church. Um, is given to the body as a whole, and the church has many members, and those members look differently. Um, and so there's, there's something that is good um, to hear the word spoken, not just by one or two individuals, but by the body as a whole. So um, throughout this series, uh, we are going to be asking that some of you come up and read our passage for the day and, and a couple other passages. So Doug's going to read our passage for this morning. This is Doug Musser, missional community leader. Lead servant in so many ways. Good morning. Uh, the first passage we'll be reading, Jeremiah 33, 14 through 16. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And in those days... Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. And the second passage is Romans fifteen thirteen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Thank you, Doug. Um, well, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Um, it is so good to be together. I did Thanksgiving with the Saucens and fam. I learned that Tim Saucen can chug water at a rate that is, should not be humanly possible. Um, it's just party tricks, you know. Uh, it, was a good, uh, it was a good Thanksgiving um, to be together. And I hope you had a great one as well. Uh, some of you are traveling back in. Some are still traveling into town. Uh, my name, for those of you that don't know, my name is Drew. Uh, I'm one of the elders here, so I, I get to bring the word. Um, and we are going to be uh, in Jeremiah 33 today. So we finished up our Life in the Garden series, um, starting our Advent series, anticipating the arrival of Christ. Uh, Jeremiah 33, um, we're going to be in 14 through 18. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, Man, what, what a joy to be together this morning. So excited to begin to look towards Christmas. Uh, okay, so how many of you, um, also I, I need to mention this, if you don't have a Bible, we want you to have a copy in your hands. So we have them in the lobby. Um, raise your hand, we, we can get one for you. Um, how many of you know what this is? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, th that is a Sears Christmas catalog. Who knows what a Sears Christmas catalog? Yes, yes, okay, all right. So a Sears Christmas catalog, um, I, this is from 1990, I was born in 89, so I, I probably know nothing about this one as well. Uh, but uh, it was the joy of Christmas, right? So like you get this Christmas catalog in as a kid, and the very first thing that you do is you 
I grew up in a family of four boys, so it was, you know, survival of the fittest. So you were the first one, you race there, and you grab a Sharpie, and you just, you just highlight and circle everything that you can that you're like, this is what I want for Christmas, right? And as I look through this Christmas catalog via the internet, um, we've come a long way in some ways. So this, there's a, a bunch of cassette players there. You need a two-page spread of cassette players. Our pants are kind of, those are coming back in style. That's like not that far off, right? Um, if you keep going, I think, yes, this was, I mean, look at that. That's Beetlejuice, RoboCop, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and our TVs were also our furniture. It was a different time, guys. Um, and it's just kind of like, but you have all of these toys. I think Game Boy's up there, too. Is Game Boy the next one? No, I don't know if I have it. Darn. Game Boy was up there, too. I forgot to put it on there. Um, but you have all of these different toys, and the goal, like, there is this seed that's sown in the very beginning of Christmas where you, you circle these things, and there's just this hopeful anticipation that begins as a kid. And you're just like, all right, maybe, just maybe, this is the Christmas where I get everything that I want. And as you grow older, um, you realize most Christmases you don't. You don't. Um, and... And it just kind of changes. I'm no longer really the one that's receiving these things. Oftentimes, yeah, I'm the one that's giving these. And so, yeah, you're excited to see your, your kids grow in anticipation as well. And you're, it, it's, it's more just around the general idea of Christmas. You go into, like, Old City or go, you know, in, into the city of Philadelphia, and there's, like, lights everywhere, and people are ice skating, and they're taking pictures, and there's families gathering. And as you're walking through the streets, it's just like this. There is a different feel and Christmas, and there is this hope that's just kind of there. And one of the things every single year that I'm reminded of that I think is, like, we, like, it's almost instinctual for us to feel in this season, like, I just wish that it was always like this. And what you're saying in that moment is you're saying, I feel as though I was meant to feel this. And and we're going to talk about misplaced hope today, but I want you to know that you were. You were meant to feel hope. You're meant to be hope-filled people. Now, what we discover throughout the Christmas season is that it ends, right? So you get to the end of this, and every single year, it's just like the lights are put away, and the, the Christmas presents, like, maybe you got what you wanted, maybe you didn't. Even if you get what you wanted, it's just kind of like fades, you know, over the next couple months and summer rolls around. And there's always something else that you could want. And so you just discover all over again, like, man, that hope, just as quickly as it comes, it just disappears, you know? Like, just as much as, like, Thanksgiving's, like, here, I think we've almost, like, in the commercial world, completely skipped Thanksgiving, right? But, like, Thanksgiving happens, and immediately after Thanksgiving, it's, like, Christmas songs and all of this celebration. And then immediately after Christmas, it's almost like the next day, the lights immediately feel old, you know? Like, as soon as you go down, it's just, like, that feels like it's a lifetime ago. Because it's done, and it's over. If that hope would just last, that's what we want to talk about today, is that you were meant to be hope-filled people, and Advent is the beginning of that for us. So I want to read our passage again today. Um, this is Jeremiah 33. We're jumping in. Jeremiah 33, 14 through 18. It says this. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise that I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. 
In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up from David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called, The Lord is Our Righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel, and the Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to make sacrifices forever. Let's pray. Um, Father, I... um, we're going to be in Jeremiah today. And um, as we were praying this morning, I couldn't help but think, um, yeah, that you, you tear down and you build up, you, you uproot and you plant. Um, you do all of this through your word that stands the test of time, through promises that again and again um, have been proven to be true. Um, and Lord, that Lord, that produces in us a hope that is greater than a hope that this world has to offer and produces a joy in us um, that's, Lord, it can only come from you. It's greater than our circumstances, certainly. Um, So, Father, the task to embrace that well today, that we would um, humble ourselves before you and again gaze upon you and see that there's real hope to be had, Lord. That is something that only you can do. So would you, would you tear us down if that's what needs to happen? Would you build us back up um, with Christ as the cornerstone of this whole thing, Lord? Father, would you do that? We love you. In your name, amen. All right, so the first thing that we're going to see in our passage today um, is the hope of Jesus saves. The hope of Jesus saves. So what I'm trying to do, if you look at our passage, um, it says, In those days and at that time I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. He shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And in those days Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. So we're going to pull on hope and this safety and security that is promised from the Lord in this moment. So, um, I know that Jeremiah feels kind of like an interesting place to start. You're like, why? Why start all the way back in Jeremiah? Um, And it's interesting, but I think when you think about Advent, it makes sense. Because Advent means the arrival, right? The arrival or the coming. Um, And so Advent for us is twofold because we kind of stand in the gap, right? So there are these promises that were given, and there's the arrival of Christ and the birth of Christ. And then there's also this future promise of the second coming of Christ. So when we talk about Advent, yes, we are, cel- we are celebrating and remembering an Advent, that a promise that's already been kept. But as we look back on that promise, we look forward to a future Advent. Like, there's coming a day, guys. You know, like we talked about kingdom. We talked about heaven. We talked about everything that God is restoring in this world. And in this season, it's not just about looking back, but it's about looking forward through looking back, almost. You're looking at this promise that was kept. And through that, you're looking forward to this promise that was made to us. And it's... I think for us, it makes then perfect sense that we would also look 
back in Scripture and say, okay, so if, that's, if that anticipation is something that was felt in the Old Testament, how do we do our best to put ourselves in the shoes and understand the circumstances in which that promise was originally given? So Jeremiah, we're jumping into a new book. And whenever we jump into a new book, it's important for us to understand that this is, um, all of these books are, are connected Um, that there is a greater story throughout the entire book. And so as we jump in, um, we don't want to jump in haphazardly. We want to jump in and do our best to understand what what is the context, like what is happening in this moment. So the people um, of Judah, they are the southern kingdom of Israel. And you're like, what is, we're already off to a crazy start. If you remember through the Old Testament, you've got the people of Israel that come into the promised land. And things go relatively well. And they conquer and they establish themselves as a nation. And they get to a point where there is a a disagreement under the king of Rehoboam. And so you have this southern kingdom, southern kingdom, and northern kingdom. Um, The northern kingdom is Israel, whose capital is Samaria eventually. And then the southern kingdom is Judah, whose capital is Jerusalem. So when this is being written, you've got Jeremiah, who's living in Jerusalem, who is giving this word to them. And what we see ultimately is that it doesn't go well for either kingdom. So the northern kingdom ultimately gets taken over by the Assyrians, and the southern kingdom ultimately gets taken over by the Babylonians. And in this context, you have these people that are now in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is unrecognizable. It's just at this point where, like, it was meant to be the dwelling place, right? Like, it was meant to be this city that was preserved in the promised land. It's supposed to be the heart of the promised land. And in that heart, there's, there's the temple where, where God dwells with his people. Like, it was meant to be this crowning jewel of the people of God. But it is unrecognizable. And so you have these people that have completely turned away from God. They have completely dismissed the commandments of God and they completely dismissed God himself. And so there is sin that has ravished this city. This is the context in which this promise is given. So to understand their mindsets at the beginning, I want to read you just a picture of what Jeremiah says at the very beginning of his book. So in Jeremiah 2.13... He says this, he says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Um, You're like, what does that mean? Um, There's two evils. These people have forsaken the Lord, which is described as living water. That theme runs all throughout Scripture. Immediately makes you think of Jesus, the woman, with, at the woman at the well, saying, I can provide for you. Like there will be living water welling up inside of you. It makes you think of the water that was Eden. It makes you think of like this water that's promised in the future kingdom. There's this living water that's here. So you've forsaken this living water and you've pursued lesser pursuits. And you've done it through building your own, your own canisters to hold. And what, what he's saying, the image is you're, you're, you're shaping these idols and you're finding right now that they're not holding water. Like even the water, the lesser water that you're pursuing, it's leaking. And I think it's just a helpful place to start because it's easy to di- disconnect ourselves from these people. And to say, I don't, I don't 
carve idols. Um, <laughs> I, it's not a problem for me. Uh, and so I, I, think, I think I'm okay. Um, but if you think about it this way, if you're like, well, maybe we don't, maybe you don't sit at home and carve idols, but maybe no matter how much water you're given, you feel empty. Like maybe the fact that you feel empty, it's because you're pursuing the wrong water and you're using the wrong vessel. There's living water and there's a righteous vessel in Jesus Christ in which we have that water. And so I think maybe it's not that we're carving these idols, but maybe we're guilty of the same thing in that there are idols that we're pursuing and they're leaving us empty in the same way. So you have a city that is ravished by sin, pursuing all of these things that do not honor the Lord, and they're empty. This promise is given in a place that really lacks hope. They've abandoned God, and they pursue these idols, and they're empty as a result of it. So as I was studying this, um, I, came across, uh, I came across a sermon, um, Matt Chandler, which is... So helpful, but he quotes Timothy Keller and he uses these core idols. And as much as I could, as I was like, I don't, I'm like, that is so helpful. We need to just, we need to talk about it. Um, And so Timothy Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, um, he talks about the, the things that we put our hope in. Matter of fact, he tweets about it right here. Um, He says, Timothy Keller tweeted, he said, Power, approval, comfort, and control are meta-idols that hold sway over our daily lives. Power, approval, comfort, and control are meta-idols that hold sway over our daily lives. All right. So, again, we're talking about from the beginning, like, tear down and build back up. That's my goal. And we're at a point right now where we're just like, I, it's easy to disconnect ourselves from these people and say, I don't struggle with those things. And I don't know, I mean, maybe idols for me is wanting too many things, or maybe idols for me is just, maybe it's just not like sinning a couple different times. But when you look at this, like what he's saying is that there are these idols that are held that, that we treasure, that we treasure in our hearts, that we treasure in our homes, that impact the decisions that we make, um, that shape everything that we do, and they leave us empty. So, power, approval, comfort, and control. These are the idols that we have. So I want to walk through them. The first one is the idol of power. The idol of power is a longing for influence or recognition. Um, This is the idol that says, I need to win, right? This is the idol that says, um, I need to be successful. Like, the way that I thought about this, I was watching... um, I was watching Moana, because that's what you do when you have two little girls. Um, and in, <laughs> towards, the end of, towards the end of the movie, um, Andrew, you're going wa- to know these movies well. Um, towards the end of the movie, there's Maui has this moment, and I'm all locked in at this point, you know? I'm like, it, it's intense. Um, and he's like, has his hook, which, and he, it's about to just be completely destroyed, and he looks and he says, he says, if I don't have my hook, I am nothing. And you're just like, boom. I'm like, that's deep. <laughs> um, but it's that moment where you're just like, it was everything to find who he was. And when you think about power, like, it's not that people that um, they just need less power. It's like they, they need power in order to exist, right? Like, there's this sense of, like, I need success because if I'm not successful, then I am nothing. 
At some point along the way, you have tied your very existence, like your identity and your value to your success. And therefore, power is the only option for you. Power. It's an idol. It's one that shapes everything in the decisions that we make. Potentially, if that's not you, this is the next one. Um, the idol of approval. Um, just a little transparency. I think this is the one that I struggle with. Um, it's a longing to be accepted or desired. Um, this is, I can speak from experience, this is walking into a room um, and leaving that room always discontent. Like constantly weighing, did I say too much? Did I say too little? Like am I, like what, like what do they think about me? And, and it can come across as humility, but in the end what it is is pride. It's this moment where you're, you realize if you get to this moment that you can't even accept praise and approval that you desire because your pride itself blocks from any of that. Because do they really think that about me? And who? What do they? It's just, it's relentless. It's a tiring way to live. So in your flesh, this is what a constant shaping this idol of approval looks like. The idol of comfort. So a longing for pleasure. Um, the way Instagram does not help this. Um, the way that this one takes shape is that you're constantly th- comparing yourself to the comforts of others. And so your comforts are always downplayed. The comfort of others is always overplayed, and you're never content. You're at a point where you're just like, I just want comfort. And, and Chandler's quote here I thought was a great way to sum it up. He says, when comfort is the place that you put hope in, it creates an inordinate amount of stress. You want comfort and you are really stressed out because you're not getting comfort. But in the middle of that is a weird boredom because you are discovering that a life without risk is a boring life. And you certainly aren't going to risk anything if all that you want is comfort. Comfort. And it's something that you're just like, the reason these things are helpful for us is because we're talking about where we place our hope, right? And we may walk out of here, if we walk out of here and we're just like, I... I feel like I place my hope in Jesus. I I pray that you do. I try harder and harder every day to do that and to have a joy that is a result of that. But I think it's helpful for us to say, you know what? There probably is a reason why I'm struggling and I'm anxious. There probably is a reason that I'm just tired. And potentially, it's because there's an idol. That's all we're saying. Potentially, it's because there is a protecting and shaping and putting your hope in something that was never meant to hold it. Like it's going to crack and the water isn't going to hold. So the last one um, is the idol of control. It's a longing to have everything go according to my plan. Um, This is the obsession uh, with making sure, having these standards and making sure that others abide well by them and um, controlling everyone in your life, right? So if I can just get this person to do this, if everyone just did what was best, um, then everything would be all right. Uh, The problem is that you're not in control um, and things don't go well often. Um, And so circumstances change, and when circumstances change and your control doesn't ultimately do a whole lot, then you're left at a point where you're anxious and vulnerable and tired. Um, Control. These idols, um, I think they're helpful for us because 
as we look at this situation in which hope is given, um, we need to be very clear, and I'm going to encourage you to discuss these things, just among your DNA groups, among your people. It's like, what do I, I guarantee you, we all fall into one, maybe two or three of these, you know? Like, where, where are the idols? Search them out. How have we been placing hope in them? And how can we recorrect that? Okay, now, what do we place our hope in? So, the passage that we read, right? Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise that I made to the house of Israel. We, we place our hope in this righteous branch, right? So chaos is happening in this moment. Judah and Jerusalem are literally about to be taken over by Babylon. Like this is towards the end of the book. If you ever want to read about this, First and Second Kings, great books, right? If you ever want to read about like this whole story, because there's a lot that t- went on. First um, and Second Kings will give you the whole breakdown. But in this moment, Babylon is about to take over and they are ruthless. Um, and so there is this like circumstances are not looking good. There's really no reason for hope. But in that moment, there's this there's a righteous branch that's coming. And in Hebrews, which we've been studying in our DNA group, Hebrews chapter eight, there is like what he does here is there's a building on what is this new like what's going to happen as a result of this righteous branch. So can we look at this now that we've looked at it from our perspective, looking forward to the coming of Christ? Can we, like with the author of Hebrews for a moment, who if you ever want to read a book that connects Old Testament and New Testament, Hebrews is great, um, look back. So he quotes Jeremiah in Hebrews 8, 8 through 12. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. We now know what that is. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand, bringing them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. Okay, so this is where we're at. This covenant was not working. So you get to this point here where there's a greater covenant that is to come. And this is what the description of that covenant is. This is so good, guys. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God. They will be my people, and they shall not teach each other, one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me, for the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Like, how good is that? Like, that's so good to know that in the midst of this, like, we're broken. We place our hope in these broken things. There's this covenant that says, like, you, there's not going to be, not that there's not, we're not reassuring each other and, like, knowing God. But the way that we knew in the beginning was that we would just share with one word to the next. He's like, I, this is different. The Spirit himself, they are going to know me in a different way. Like, they'll know me. The whole idea is that they're going to be mine. I will be theirs. I'm going to draw near to them. I'm going to wipe away their iniquities. There's going to be, is a righteous branch, right? Like there is going to be, I'm going to remember their sins no more. How good is that? It is reassuring for us to know that like our hope, not does it only, we're going to talk about the fact that it secures our future, but it saves us in this moment from like the things that we wrestle with daily, you know, the things that we're constantly wrestling with. I think um, this is a good time um, 
You know how in your car every couple of years you just got to like clean stuff out? Not years, months. Um, <laughs> it, not even months, weeks, you know, it depends on how many kids you have. Um, but it's just like you just, and you don't know where it comes from. It's just stuff, right? Like it's just like it's perfectly clean. I go to, I go to South Philly, North Philly to go, to go clean my car out. These guys do an incredible job. I get it back, and it's perfectly clean in a matter of weeks, right? It's just stuff. Like, you just accumulate stuff. And I think this year, like, this is a perfect time of year for you to just, like, reassess your life and be like, you know what? I may have picked up some things. Like, there may be some junk between the seats, and, like, there may be some extra thing in the back that I just don't know why it's there. And it's time to just look at it and be like, let's clean it out. Because there's... There is a journey to be had, and I'm not driving in this messy car, right? Like, I'm just not doing it. Like, just clean it out. And so it takes, it really takes us to get to this point where you're willing to kind of come before, like, in in a car. It's a matter of just, like, I'm not willing to do it. But, like, you're willing to just empty yourself and be like, all right, I give up. I give up. I've picked up some things I shouldn't have picked up. And I don't have the ability to let go of him myself. I need others, and I need the Lord, and I need his word. And so let's assess. Let's, let's assess our lives and look at what we're placing our hope in. And if there's anything there that needs to be removed, let's just get rid of it. There's grace to remove it, guys. Like, there's grace to get rid of this because there is a God who is drawn near to us through the birth of Jesus Christ. Um, so he gives us safety to do that. That's what it is. Like there is safety to not be well because of the gospel. And you need to know that. Um, but he restores that. So um, the second thing that we see in this passage is the hope of Jesus secures. The hope of Jesus secures. Um, so how many of you would consider yourself to be an optimistic person? Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay. We got a couple optimists. That's good. We need them. I'm one of them. I'm one of them too. Um, the uh, all right. I'm, I'm going to paint this picture. Doug and I are best friends. <laughs> um, we are we are different. Um, let's say this. It's about to start snowing soon, right? It is. Um, which is all right. If it's going to be cold, might as well snow. Um, let's say that Doug parks his car over by the cemetery and there's big trees over there but the car gets snowed in and I'm walking past and Doug's like I gotta get to work well he works from home in this situation he's gotta go somewhere I gotta get to work and so he's like and luckily I'm walking past with salt and a shovel and two by fours and he's he's just like yo can you I'm like dude I can help you we're totally gonna get this no problem man we're gonna get this thing taken care of he's like all right optimism is helpful in this situation right immediately you're just like he's like yes I feel better circumstances are better he's here he's got stuff to help this is great um and then it, we start we start shoveling around and it's not going all that well and I get one of those classic dogs well I don't know. I don't know if it's going to work. <laughs> and then, and then, um, after that, I'm like, dude, we got this. We got this. It's going to be okay. It's not going well, but we got this. I still, I'm warranted in my optimism. But then you get to this point where something absolutely tragic happens. He's parked over by the cemetery, and because of all the snow, the trees are just heavy. And this branch falls right on the front of his beautiful, wonderful RAV4. And it just takes out the whole front end. Poof. 
and at this point, I'm like, if I look at Doug and I say, Doug, it's okay. We got this, bud. Like, we totally got this. We just got to get the branch off, and then we're just going to kind of like, we can move it. You're pretty strong, dude. At this point, optimism is no longer really helpful. Why is it not helpful? Because the circumstances have changed. <laughs> like, the circumstances have radically changed. And it's no longer optimism that's rooted in some kind of sense of, like, this could be done, but it's, it's, now it just looks more like irrational, right? Like, now you're at a point where you're like, this doesn't make sense. And I think what we see throughout, like, hope that is in the world... Doug, thank you for letting me use you as an illustration. Um, what we see throughout hope in this world is that the best case scenario is it really boils down to an optimism um, that is unique. So maybe you have an optimistic person, but optimism ultimately is built upon your circumstances. So you're saying in these circumstances, I can reasonably say, if I'm more optimistic to say, I can say that I'll bet that things are going to work out well. But in the end, they're heavily dependent on circumstances. That's why a biblical hope is irrational to a world that does not know God. Right? Because our circumstances are bleak. Like, like you're in a dark world, right? You're in a dark world that is full of sin. And oftentimes, circumstances are not ideal. And so a biblical hope that's presented all throughout Scripture is not based on the circumstances that you're in. It's radically different than that. It's based on the promises of a person. So something that would be helpful is also to just know, we're talking a lot about Jeremiah. I mean, Jeremiah the person um, exemplifies this really, really well. Um, He was a young man when he became a prophet Um, He was a priest in the Levitical line in Jerusalem, becomes a prophet as a young man, and his whole, his entire ministry, he has two converts. (laughs) Two. Um, They were uh, Baruch, I'm going to butcher this name, Abedmelech. Baruch and Abedmelech. Those seem to be, to the best of our knowledge, the two guys that actually said, you know what, we're going to listen to what you're saying, Jeremiah, and we're going to follow what you're saying, the Lord's saying, the rest despised him. (laughs) Like, no one liked Jeremiah. Foreign kings didn't like Jeremiah because he had a word for them. Israelite people did not like Jeremiah because he was constantly saying, like, repent and turn back. He delivered judgment. Like, that was his whole life. Eventually, he lived to see that judgment through Babylon, and he was taken to Egypt where he was killed. So you're just like, all right, Jeremiah himself, circumstances were not ideal most often. Um, But hope, like there's a unique hope that he carries. And that hope, it points to a person. So we read our passage um, in 33. And in verse 16, it says, In those days Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. If you look at where else that is used, back in 23, that's given to a person. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. He shall, he shall reign as a king and dwell wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. His name is our righteousness. 
That's who he is. It's ultimately that God is with us, Emmanuel, right? Like this is the moment where we're promised there is coming a king that is righteous. He, Jesus, is that king. And for this reason, we have hope. The, um, uh, Peter says it this way, um, talking about the hope that we have in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power were being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. So this hope is something that is not just rooted in circumstance, um, this hope is rooted in promises fulfilled, right? That we have a God who makes promises and delivers on those promises. And he has continued to make those promises to us. It's a living hope. So we place our hope in a God that has made himself known to us through his creation. He gave his commands through his people. He proclaims his plans for restoration through his prophets. He sent his son Jesus into the, into the world. Jesus lived and proclaimed that he was the fulfillment of the prophets that came before him. Conservatively, some have said that he's fulfilled 300 prophecies. He then predicted his death and resurrection. He then resurrected from the grave and showed himself to the apostles. And he taught at one point over 500 people in his resurrected body. He ascended into heaven and promised his spirit would come. The spirit does come. And it displays that same radical power that Jesus had in his ministry. Now through his followers. His followers, they turn into a movement that cover the entire ancient world. Jesus continues to make himself known to the world through scripture, through the spirit, and through his disciples even today as we're speaking. So like these promises, like we're not placing our hope in something that hasn't proven to be true already. There is hope that surpasses any kind of circumstance that we are currently in because it's true. It's proven to be true and it's got a wonderful future promise that we will again see Jesus return and that we'll be with him, right? You remember the end of Revelation, that I, it's that same promise that God is going to, he will dwell with us. We will be his people and he will be our God. Like it's coming. That's what's coming for us. It's, it's unique. It's different. I understand that at times um, to a fallen world that it looks irrational. Um, we are called, uh, we are called to rid ourselves of these false hopes that we've placed our hope in. Um, and this is the way that Paul helps us do this through hope in, first, in 2 Corinthians 1, 19. It says, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Sylvanius and Timothy and I, was, was not yes or no, but in him it was always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. For all the promises of God. Like, if you ever are lacking in hope, like can you and maybe even just like sit with the Lord and maybe sit with, sit with a friend and go through all the promises that have been made to the people of God and all the promises that are yet to come and look at Jesus. He fulfills every single one of them. 
So like, who do you think you are that you are outside of these promises? Like these promises are good and true today. And any problem that you have, you can find your yes also in Jesus. And it is and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ, and he has appointed us, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Do you want a guarantee? Good. You got one. His spirit is there, and he's speaking to you, and he's continuing to move, and there's evidence of him all around. We need to continue to acknowledge that the spirit is moving and amongst us. It's our guarantee. So... Um, as we finish up today, one of our goals here is to start preaching shorter sermons. We're doing it, guys. Um, as we finish up today, as um, the band comes up, uh, I wanted to leave you with two questions. Um, the first question was, are you putting your hope, are you putting your hope in these core idols? So let's, um, I, as, as you're in your missional communities, as you're in your DNA groups, I want you to just kind of discuss these things. Among, like these, these core idols that, you, that, um, that we talked about, the idol of approval, of power, of comfort and control, um, do you see these things in your own life? And it, maybe it's an opportunity for you to just begin to rid yourself of those and say, this is how it is actually proven to not, be, um, not hold water the way that I thought it would. This is where I've gotten as a result of this. And just allow the living water of Jesus to be like just restorative for you like, continue to take your hope off of these false idols and put them on Jesus. Um, and then last would be, are you a person that has joy despite your circumstances? So I understand that circumstances can be bleak. Um, I don't, I, I, it's pretty hard for me to make an argument that um, they shouldn't be. Like, I look at Scripture, and the majority of people, um, that's how it is, right? Uh, it is... This is, this is a time that God has called us in a broken world to be a light in a world that does not accept it already. So the ideal um, that is just a time of peace, honestly, we're promised it in the future. I don't know what this, this world holds, many kinds of circumstances, but no matter what the circumstance is, there's hope in the midst of that because of Jesus. And so do you have joy? Um, and I think that's key. Um, we... We very quickly, um, if we are not careful, um, can begin to look in on ourselves and to look at our own circumstance and look at our own situation. And as a result of that, lack joy. We're meant to be a people that are full of hope and joy. Um, It's meant to be evident to those around you. It's not a false joy. I'm not saying put a smile on because you should. I'm saying run to Jesus and I promise you, you'll find joy different than happiness, but there's good joy to be had there. So the final passage is Romans 15, 13, which Doug opened us up with. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Um, I'm praying that this Christmas, um, as we anticipate the arrival of Christ, and we look forward Um, that we would do so towards the God of hope, like the author of hope, that that would result in joy, and then that would result in more hope in us. Um, Let me pray for us this morning.
Father, you have um, many, many names. Um, you're the Prince of Peace. You're um, Jehovah. Lord, you are uh, Emmanuel. Lord, you are our righteousness. Um, you're the God of hope. Um, so, Lord, I, I know that um, at times it feels impossible to rediscover hope. Um, and on our own, it is. Um, on our own, we're very quickly to take hope out of one um, empty idol and to place it into another. Um, Lord, would you protect us against that today? Um, Lord, would you bring in, usher in, Lord, as you did with Jesus, Lord, and as your promise that you will again, will you usher into our lives once again this, this gospel through your spirit, Lord, that we would preach one more time that Jesus is true and worth putting our hope in. Lord, I pray that that would change us. Lord, that it would restore us now and that that would result in a real hope. Lord, in a real joy um, that's evident to those around us. Lord, that it would be greater than the happiness that this world has to offer and the hope that this world has to offer. Um, Father, if there's anybody in here today that, um, Lord, just needs to know that you are near. Um, Father, would you, the God of comfort, draw near now um, and just remind us that, Father, you have made a way. You have made a way to be known, for us to be freely known by you and to know you. Lord, and that in there, there is freedom. Lord, and there... There is joy that's meant to be had by us. Restore what's broken today. Um, build up, tear down, do what you need to do. Father, we love you. In your name, amen.